Hey, everybody. This is Ricky D, and you're listening to Best Flicks with Ricky D. I am here with Jesse from the Sudden Butt Podcast, Sudden But Inevitable. How are you doing, Jesse? I am doing really well. I am happy to be here. I, I think this might be my second time here. I think um, so. I, I don't remember what we did the first time. I'll be totally honest, but I remember that I had a lot of fun, and it means I get to say Best Flicks with Ricky D again, so right. I'm I'm happy to do that. Yeah, uh, this week we're watching Dune. This is the big new release that's come out. Uh, I think it was actually last week. It's been out for a little over a week, but two weeks, maybe two weeks. Uh, but it's still, it's the big thing that's out right now. Uh, you're seeing trailers for it on TV. Uh, it's trying to creep into your ads on your Facebook. Like Dune is crawling down your throat right now. So we figured we would do a little bit of talking about it. Yeah, if you're not a Marvel fan, this is the current uh, cinematic event uh, that mm -hmm. is available to you. <clears throat> of course, the Marvel fans are all deeply divided currently over uh, the Eternals, the latest offering there. So we figured we would go with something equally divisive, but in an entirely different way. Uh, you could argue that this is kind of like, well, I guess you wouldn't argue that, but uh, this is definitely akin to the Marvel Universe in that it is a huge, huge piece of storytelling so big, in fact, that they could not fit it into one movie. But we'll get into that. And I didn't even notice. Like, I didn't know this was the first part of the movie. I was expecting everything to wrap up by the end of the movie. But I'm sitting here and I've got like 10 minutes left. And I'm like, oh, there, there's a <laughs> lot to do in the next 10 minutes. Well, and so I watched this movie at home. Um, I, I know that that's a bit of um, a bit of a sin. I think you're supposed to see this movie on the largest screen available. You're supposed to go see it in IMAX. Um, but for the sake of convenience and comfort and a lot of other things, uh, I watched it at home. And immediately I paused it because, well, actually, I listened to that really cool, like, technotronic throat singing at the start that first quote where it says i think dreams are a gift from the deep or something along those lines yeah i was like okay uh i'm here for this that is the kind of audio design that i like it's creepy it's sci-fi feeling i'm ready to experience this movie full disclosure i have seen uh 1984's dune as well i i didn't read the books so i'm not like real steeped in the whole lore of everything but the 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 start of that movie, like I was saying, you've got this this really cool sound on the black screen. But then when the title card comes up, I paused it because there's a tiny little subtitle under Dune that actually says part one. Yeah. And it was, I mean, as somebody who enjoyed uh, David Lynch's Dune, I'm actually really glad that they decided to split this story into at least two movies because... It is a ton, like like you were saying, there is a lot here. And the last probably 20 to 30 minutes of Lynch's Dune tries, it seems, I think if I'm not mistaken, it covers like the entire second half of the book. So the movie is really like, you know, slowly and carefully paced all the way up to that point. And then it's just like, and then acts three through six happen. And it's really jarring. <clears throat> but here... It, they just stop like the movie is just over when they get to the middle of the book. How did you feel about that? Was the ending jarring for you? Were you like, okay, I feel, how did you feel? Uh, it was definitely jarring because I wasn't anticipating this kind of, it wasn't really a cliffhanger. It's not like, you know, 
you have to tune in next Friday to see what happens. It, it was, it's very, it's kind of clean, but at the same time, I wasn't expecting the cutoff right there. Uh, I was expecting a, a finale to the storyline and it really, it kind of slows and peters itself out. It doesn't have a it doesn't have a real climax like that. I didn't feel like. Well, I mean, I would say that the movie still has a climax. It's just that it doesn't happen at the end of the movie, right? So, mm -hmm. as opposed to you know being on that that bell curve of a normal storytelling arc, th this is on the downswing of the next movie's storytelling arc, right? So, were you familiar with Dune going into this, Ricky D? Had you seen the old movie or read the books? I have not. Uh, I know about the sandworms. Uh, I know there's <laughs> these giant sandworms. I know they're dangerous. Uh, and they kind of rule the planet they're on. But that's about the only thing I knew about Dune was the sandworms. So And spice. And spice. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm not asking this facetiously. I'm asking this genuinely because I think it's a good question to ask if you have never experienced Dune before. How much do you feel like you know about Dune now? Oh, man. Not much. Right. <laughs> if I'm going to be perfectly honest, like, uh, before you showed up to do this... I was watching like a little YouTube video, Dune movie 2021, full breakdown, Easter eggs and ending explained. It's the yeah. video I was watching. And there was just so much going on in this video. They're talking about uh, the Atreides clan and uh, all these other like religious, yep. uh, like religious factions that are going on. And I'm like, Oh, I thought it was just the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> but no, these are like warring religious factions that have deep-seated issues against each other. And they have some sort of magical power-ishness going on. And so I missed out on a lot. The movie so is super dense. And some of the those details, they kind of slip past you. I I find that really interesting. I find it unsurprising. I don't know that dense is the word that I would use. It's like there the stuff also... is just there, right? Like it's it's not necessarily like they spend a ton of time explaining a bunch of stuff to you to make it dense. It's just like there's a lot to take in that makes it dense, right? Yes, I agree. And there there were also some pretty big chunks of movie that were just kind of boring dialogue. Mm. Uh, there, I would say this movie, like if it wasn't such an epic that they're trying so hard to get onto the screen. I think they could have really cut out 30, 40 minutes of this movie. But yeah. I recognize that they've been trying to bring Dune to the screen for so long. There was the old Dune movie from, was that the 90s? Uh, the 80s. It was 80s, okay. uh, Lynch. And then there was, um, there was another adaptation. Yeah, there was a miniseries on sci-fi that actually starred James McAvoy. Um and there was uh, an attempted uh, production by a guy named Yodorovsky, I believe, or Yodorovsky. I don't remember how to pronounce that, but he had like this grand sprawling vision of like a five and a half hour movie with this ballooning multi hundred million dollar budget. And I believe Salvador Dali did the concept art for it. This was like very early 90s. It was like the most bizarre thing and uh, super ambitious. There's a there's a documentary about it, I think, on maybe on YouTube. Um, but this this property has been called unfilmable before, uh, uh, unadaptable, because it mm -hmm. is so dense and thick and laden with, you know, backstory of 
like you were saying, political intrigue. You've got this feudal government system going on. There's an emperor. There's the Bene Gesserit, which is like this witch monk order in the background and like all this crazy, you know, different political stuff happening. It's very Game of Thrones, you know, uh, 40 years before Game of Thrones or 25 years before Game mm -hmm. of Thrones or whatever. And to your point, there is so much dialogue in the movie that I think if you go in with a frame of reference, you go, okay, I totally know what this is, right? But if you don't, it, it's just a lot of really, really beautiful, immaculate shots and uh, wondrous, wondrous sound design. But there's, it feels like for somebody with no frame of reference, there might not be a ton of substance in this movie because yeah. you don't have that, like, you don't get to care about the Atreides, right? And you don't get to really know that how evil the Harkonnens are because you're just shown, look, they're evil. They, they, they live in oil and they want money. That's bad, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I was struggling to find something to grab onto. Uh, but on your talk, on you mentioning how beautiful it was, how great it sounded, I've gotten away from using my headphones to watch TV. Mm. But as soon as this movie started, I was just like, no, this one, I can't, I'm not going to the theater. I can't get the real full experience, but I've got a nice like 60 inch TV. I've got some headphones. I can do what I can for this movie. Get so real it, isolated, zone yourself in. Yep, exactly. And as as much as I struggled with the movie, just because I didn't understand everything that was going on, I don't regret the two and a half hours that I spent watching it. Not at all. Right. And I'm most likely going to watch it again after I've watched a few YouTube videos that are going, <laughs> okay, here's how it works. Here's a little background on the Dune universe. Uh, I don't necessarily want to have everything spoiled. I don't know if I recommend everybody do that before. Right. Because it's going to spoil a lot. But you're going to have an easier time entering that world. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for let's say there is somebody out there listening right now to Best Flicks with Ricky D and they're going, I got to do that, too. But I really don't feel like it. I'm going to give you a really quick breakdown of everything you need to know just to watch this movie. It's going to be no spoilers for the story after this because it gets bananas. But the universe of Dune is essentially the same universe that we live in now. It takes place uh, like 12,000 years in the future. At the beginning of the movie, you saw that the date was like 10,102 or whatever. Yep. But that's not counting from now. That's counting from an event called the Butlerian Jihad in Dune's Far, Far Past, wherein the AI and advanced thinking machines of you know, humanity's creation ended up taking over and controlling the populace and things like that, just like in any other sci-fi, right? So then it was discovered that these machines were like influencing the bloodlines and the births of people. And there was a huge uprising. All artificial intelligence and thinking machines were banned in the universe, just like as a mandate all, the, all over the place. There is no AI. There are no robots. There are no supercomputers in the movie or the world of Dune. That's why you see him reading books and learning from holograms. And they have that guy who calculates things with his eyes rolled back in his head instead of typing it into a computer, right? So space travel in Dune is entirely controlled by the Spacing Guild because they're the only people that can calculate safe space travel with the technology that they have 
without an AI, which is illegal. So to do that, they just ingest huge amounts of spice and it mutates their minds and bodies so that they can do all these crazy calculations. Now, of course, that means that whoever controls the spice controls the universe, right? Because without it, you can't have space travel. If you can't have space travel, you don't have an intergalactic empire. So that's essentially mostly what you need to know going in. Outside of that, I would say we're living in a feudal system. It's been 10,000 years since the machines were overthrown. There's an emperor. There are great houses. They get uh, planets as their fiefdoms. And the setup for Dune is that House Atreides is getting very, very popular. And the emperor doesn't like that. He's worried that uh, people around his empire will switch their support to House Atreides as opposed to the House of the Emperor. So he concocts this little scheme to take the planet of Arrakis, also known as Dune, out of the hands of House Harkonnen and put it into the hands of their rivals, House Atreides, in a political ploy to mess with their power structure. That's basically all you need to know going in. I would say I think I just talked for about two minutes. It felt like way longer than that. But if you can get into this movie with two minutes and enjoy two and a half hours, I think that's probably a good trade. What do you think? Uh, I think that was an excellent explanation. There was a whole lot going on that you just mentioned that totally slipped past me. But looking back on the movie, I can totally say, yeah, all of that makes perfect sense. Uh, I didn't recognize the lack of AI or lack of computers, mm. but uh, that looking back on it, very clear. Uh, so that's an excellent, I think, intro. Uh, if you don't want to go watch three or four YouTube videos <laughs> explaining it, you can listen to a two minute rant. And to be clear, the only reason I was able to provide that two minute rant was because I did the exact same thing you did, my friend. After I watched the movie, I was like, OK, I got to go watch an explainer video from somebody who's really into this. And because I'm not not into it, it's just I didn't cross paths with it, you know, in my formative years. Now, having seen 84's Dune, I really feel like this movie is really, really similar to that movie except that it's getting praised for some of the stuff that that movie got dragged for. Uh, most notably, I would say pacing. When that movie came out, critics were, it's way too slow. How could we possibly sit through all this? There's so much exposition. You know, this is overlong, this, that, and the other thing. And now a lot of critics are praising uh, Denis Villeneuve for taking the time that is necessary to tell such a long, involved, intricate story, which I agree with the praise, but... It, it feels like people are forgetting that that was already done. Like this movie, gorgeous, brilliant, epic. I loved it. I had a blast with Dune 2021, but I don't feel like there's that much that it did that 84 didn't do. I mean, there's definitely some improvements as far as like some choices that were made. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I guess it's like, I love them both. And this one is definitely better. But I guess I just don't know how much better. Um, for you, are you like on the edge of your seat for part two? Or like you said, do you think you get through this movie a couple more times before part two comes out? I'll definitely rewatch this one another at least once, maybe tw uh, two times before the next one comes out in 2023, I think. I think so. Um, so I'll definitely get another watch through or two out of it. And I'm almost certainly going to watch the sequel. Uh and I'll probably even go back and watch the 1984 version to get some of that reference you're talking about. But it, I don't think I would rate the movie like an eight or a nine. It wasn't spectacular for me. Yeah. I, 
what is your <laughs> like kind of, having basically just finished it right yep. what would you say is your overwhelming impression of it like the thing you liked best was thing x and the thing that you thought could you could have done without was thing y for I me would say, oh go yes, ahead go, please okay i for me i think the visuals are you, you cannot argue with what you see on this screen um and i think there's true um what's the word i'm looking for true synchronicity between the visuals and the score and the sound design in this movie i think sensor uh as far as sensory input goes this movie is overwhelming in the best way possible i think um if i were going to change something about this movie it's difficult for me to pick something i i love jason momoa like unabashedly he him as cal drogo is one of my favorite character and actor pairings ever mm -hmm. i feel like this movie had a couple a few too many shots that were hey we got jason momoa <laughs> uh, which again uh, very cool but this this cast all around is huge and brilliant and full of stars so for me, there was a little too much. Yay, Duncan Idaho! And yes, the name Duncan Idaho is dumb, but it's from the book. And there's these these are just people, right? People have names like that, especially ten thousand years from now. I mean, even look look twenty years ago at the kind of names people had. So those are those are probably my answers. What about you? <laughs> okay, uh, I loved the scope and the size of this movie. I thought they handled how huge it was very well. Uh, they've got things like we're seeing the future. We're seeing the past. Uh, we're living in this huge world. And I thought they pulled it all together and displayed the, the size very well. The, the grand scheme of everything. Uh, if I were going to say something I didn't like, man, when you you started out, going a little negative toward Jason Momoa. And I, I reacted to that. I was a little bit like, how dare you? But I, I could agree with what you were saying. He was, it, they were kind of like, we got Jason Momoa. We got Cal Drogo. Here he is. We got Aquaman. <laughs> um, but if I want to say something different, uh, pacing, I and we mentioned it before, but the pacing was just rough. I felt like there were some pretty big chunks that probably could have been left out. There were some minor things that I thought we could have maybe gotten a little bit more details out of. Uh, it was an awkwardly paced movie. Yeah, and I and I will continue to praise that because I like slow, ponderous, deliberately paced um, stories like that. Um, I but I can totally see where for particularly a modern movie audience that might bump somebody. Um, but I also think that this, this movie really feels like Villeneuve is going, you will experience the vision that I have, which I appreciate. I mean, especially now, I think it's difficult to get auteur level movies at, at this tier, right? Where the budget is, essentially unlimited and the marketing is essentially unlimited right and the freedom that the director has is essentially unlimited to still come out with a vision that feels pretty distinctly like one person's picture of it i think is very impressive 
Um, I think uh, one thing that I really love about this movie is when you were talking about the scale that they did a great job of, you know, communicating that reminded me that this movie does visual metaphors really well. And it also brought up a criticism, which is, I feel like they, they put their finger on a couple of their metaphors a little heavily. Um, so yes, you've got this vast open desert, right. And the, these huge expanses of space with this little pin pinprick of light that has a tube ship with all the other ships coming through it. Love those scenes, by the way. But it it hints at the grander nature of the plot, right? There's so much more going on here than what's actually being told on screen. Mm -hmm. And it's a great visual metaphor. And then you have these great visual metaphors of, you know, you're slowly realizing, oh, he wasn't seeing his own death he was seeing paul's death and the birth of quizat's hadarak or the birth of Moadib. right it's a metaphorical death that he was seeing and you're like oh i totally get it i get it in this exact moment and then you get a whispered voiceover that goes for Moadib to rise paul atreides must die and i'm like oh, oh come on i just got there why did you tell it to me but I also understand that, you know, for a PG-13 movie, you're going to have a wide audience that you want to get the message all the way across to. So I, I don't know. It's a weird subtlety mixed with a ham-fisted poke at a metaphor. But I, I do really love the visual metaphors in this movie. And I love the visuals all the way through. I had a oh. ton of fun with it. I just, I, I think I agree with you that there are pieces of it that are just like, I don't know if unnecessary is the word. It's just like thick. Yeah. Like... So there were a lot of really cool visuals going on, whether it was those like hummingbird helicopters Ooh, yeah. or the giant sandworm or the Harkonnen who was like living his life in a vat of oil. Yeah. Like what's some of the things that you thought were just an amazing visual just in the moment? What did you like seeing just that was an interesting, great idea? So definitely the um, that that shot with like I think like I said before I think it's like a tube ship that they use mm -hmm. to do their travel and all the littler ships are coming out of it. I loved every shot of a fleet of ships showing up at a planet where this the planet is this hulking mass in the frame and the ships are just these tiny little dots, almost like birds on the ocean. And then when you go when you change that scale to the ground war level and you have you know. Uh, Josh Brolin running around on his feet and you have like this, these like city block sized ships floating, you know, six feet off the ground and then they explode and fall. It's like that, that subtle manipulation of scale is so well done. And, and all of the spaceship visuals, I really love the first one um, that you see in the movie. I've got it running right now where that Bene Gesserit ship shows up to, I think it's, uh, I think it's so the Reverend Mother can talk to Lady Jessica or something. But basically, the whole ship is shrouded in fog. You can't see anything. You just see the lights that sort of suggest the outline of that ship's hull. And it's the space vehicles, I think, hands down, have got to be my favorite part of the visuals. I do really... The still suits are, yeah. are one of those things that I'm going to point to, that that's basically the exact same like effect and... Uh, suit prosthetic as 1984's Dune, which I'm good with because it, you can really only do that so many ways, right? It's a tube that goes up your nose, so it's yeah. like you have to you kind of can only show that so many ways, but I really like that, and 
okay, anybody who has seen 84's Dune will tell you the the shield modules that they have in this where, you know, you can hit really hard and nothing will happen, but if you go slow, the blade will go through. Those mm-hmm. look great in this movie and they look awful in 84's Dune um, because it was, they invented an effect for it and it was, it was bad. It got the, the idea across, but it was a bad effect. Um, but 84's Dune has Patrick Stewart. So I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there were some of those suit or the, there were a lot of those things that I thought were really interesting ideas because when I first thought the shield, but there's still people getting stabbed to death. So what's as good as a shield? Well, how about a projectile weapon, like a firearm or something like that? If I shoot at you with a bullet, bullet's going to come at you real slow all of a sudden. Well, and they had, it's like a, they have both versions of it, right? Because none of them are running around with like laser guns because that wouldn't work. So most of the combat is hand to hand, which is like, Mm -hmm a nice way to be able to show hand-to-hand combat 10,000 years in the future, right? And it also makes sense knowing that they don't have thinking machines. So maybe no automatic, you know, AI-controlled missiles, maybe no, you know, tracking rounds, that kind of a thing that you would normally have in a future battlefield. Mm -hmm. So it actually makes sense to just grab a couple of knives and go, you know, Caldrogo on a whole group of people. Uh, How did you feel about duncan idaho's death did it hit you or were you like i I mean they literally showed it like an hour and a half before it happened but still i mean i i feel like that was their their good indicator of look sometimes paul is seeing what will happen and sometimes he's seeing what could happen right because he also sees that guy that he ends up killing as a teacher like he has visions of that guy being a mentor yep yep the uh, african-american guy well I don't know if they're African-American in the, the Fremen. world of Dune, but yeah. yeah, the Fremen guy. And he, but it, it, the, again, the, the visual metaphor, it still works. That guy was a mentor. He taught Paul the ways of the desert tribe like that. It didn't happen over the course of years, but he taught Paul some very valuable lessons about living with the Fremen really, really quickly. So I, I really like that. Like I said, I, there were so, there were visual metaphors that I was like, I'm picking up on this. And I feel good about it. This is clear storytelling, yeah. even if it's slow storytelling. Um, I but, also go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I also liked the. Uh, there were some very simple things. Like, did you call it the still suit? Yeah. Uh, it like recycles their water and their sweat and everything, and that was a really interesting idea. And it's also, I don't know if it's necessarily applicable to the world, but you can to our world, but you can see how that kind of works. Uh, and I'm just sitting there during the movie thinking about it, like, okay, so it recycles your sweat and you're drinking your sweat. That's kind of gross. But after you drink it, your sweat goes away. No, that moisture is still in that suit and it can still be extracted. And, you know, there was some time to like think with these ideas and form my own ideas, but I'm coming right back to what they want me to think. Yeah. And to me, that's a good that's a sign of good storytelling and good world building, which I'm going to point to the source material for because it's all there. Right. And I think if I'm not mistaken in the books, they they go maybe a couple steps further with it. Like, also, you can just go ahead and use the bathroom in your still suit and that will get recycled. And, you know, because it's like they live in the desert, dude. Like you'd have to Mm -hmm. you'd have to have some life is tough, you know. Um, I love I that think... the knives are the teeth of the sandworm. Yes. Because they're like super, super skinny. And to me, that adds a different level of creepiness to the sandworms because 
I mean, even that those ultra thin blade like teeth, that's still practical to the world, right? Because that would allow them to just glide through the sand as you know, while they filter that through like a sieve and, and mm -hmm. displace it behind them. I, yeah, it, I, I liked the subtle pieces of those things a lot. I don't think I answered your question about Jason Momoa's death or oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Duncan Idaho's death. <laughs> uh, he died twice, kind of. Well, geez, he died three times. He died in the um, vision. He died at one point, and then he got back up to keep fighting uh, once they were, like, using that crazy laser to tear the door down. Uh, and, spoiler alert for the future, I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Uh, there's something called a Gola, which is like a uh, a clone, or is clone the right word? I So... This is in the realm of Dune knowledge that I have only acquired secondhand by watching an explainer video probably six months ago, where right. I believe that an enemy of of our heroes in the future brings him back to be like, to mess with Paul, I think. Like, hey, look, it's Duncan Idaho. Um, yeah, but, so I think he's going to still be around. Right. And the character, the character or the, the actor, I'm sure, would have signed up for multiple movies. Right mm -hmm. now, to that point, I'm going to guess because, again, I don't remember. But if I'm not mistaken, that would be like two or three movies from now. I don't think that would be a a part two of Dune uh, story point. Um, I don't think I'm not 100 percent on that. But also, I'm, I'm sure Villeneuve has carte blanche creatively with the source material at this point so he can probably do whatever he wants uh what were what was like the most exciting moment in the movie for you which battle scene did you like the most or maybe uh yeah what was the most exciting thing that you ran across man i i mean the siege of dune when the, when the Harkonnens come back, like even knowing, you know, knowing full well, this is going to go poorly for our heroes. Um, they're going to lose big time. It was still, I, I still got the drama out of it, I guess. Like, I think we had, because we had spent, not to put it this way, but because we had spent so much time with these characters already, I, I felt enough of a connection to to not want um oscar isaac's duke atreides to go man like he was great in that role and <clears throat> i mean i know it's the source material but it's like you gotta hire somebody that great and have him in half the movie i totally get it i totally get it i have a question about him because i remember as uh duke atreides was dying they gave him like a bomb tooth that he could detonate did, or it was going to turn into like a breath of fire or poison. Poison gas, yeah. Yeah. Did we see that happen? I don't recall. Yeah, so he, um, as he is laying there in his chair at his own table, and Harkonnen is just, you know, laying into him, and then he, the guy that, the doctor, Yue, that betrayed them, he goes, hey, I did my job. Give me back my wife. Reunite me with my wife, you know. And then he does like the 1979 police movie what a criminal would do where he goes yeah i'll reunite you with your wife and then you know shoots him <laughs> in the head uh i mean that's basically what he did but he so then he's you know leaning into to the duke and he's like hey dude 
your wife's dead. Your sorry, your concubine is dead. Your son is dead. Your house ends tonight. I'm taking over everything. And Oscar Isaac kind of mumbles something and he's like, uh, what? You know, and he leans in a little bit closer and then he mumbles something again. And you see the Baron turn on his shielding and then he leans in real close and Isaac bites down on that tooth and he breathes it out and everybody in the room immediately starts reacting to it. And you can see the shielding on the Baron start turning red. And then when they come back to get the Baron, like, I mean, it could be 10 or 15 minutes later for all I know, but when they come back to get him, he's used his like levitation repulsors to climb up into the corner of the room and they, they turn around and see him up there kind of huddled. So it's implied that he escaped that gas, but it definitely damaged him. And that's why he spends the rest of the movie recuperating in the oil of evil. Okay. I, I remember him getting the tooth. I just, I somehow missed out on that scene. It's like I said, the movie is so ponderous, but, but like you said, thick that it is difficult. I mean, there are times where you feel like, oh, okay, I can look away for a second. And if you do, you actually miss something. But then right. there are sp- other times where if you don't look away for five minutes, you won't miss anything. Yeah, uh, they'll spend 20, 30 minutes building up to a scene. And then that scene will be gone in just two, three minutes. And to put a second answer to your question, this scene wasn't a uh, battle scene. But I really, really enjoyed the scene. Um, the first scene where Paul uses the voice and he says, give me the water but they pull his vocals out of that and they leave only the percussives. So it's like a, and it's like the weirdest sounding thing, but I still heard the words, give me the water. And it was like, I don't know how they pulled that off again. The sound design in this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Next favorite scene has got to be, and then I'll stop. I promise the next one has got to be when he has got that holographic, like tree that he's learning about. And that little hunter seeker drone comes out of the wall and he steps into the hologram to use it to confuse the sensors on that little drone. The visuals in that moment are gorgeously beautiful. It's it's a scene that's in the book, and I believe it's in 84's Dune as well, but it's handled differently. I loved, loved it. Uh, there's one thing you can say for this movie. There is not a frame in it that is not beautifully just oh. overwhelming. Yes. 100 percent uh i also really enjoyed you're speaking of the voice uh is there a better name for it other than the vo- like i called it the voice of the emperor from skyrim so I, I believe it's actually in the book just called the voice okay um but it's it seems to be if i'm not mistaken it seems to be in, implied that that's not only a benegesserit thing which is the order of monk witches that uh paul's mother belongs to yep um it's also potentially tied to the Fremen themselves. Um, oh, I missed that. Something along those lines. I'm not 100% on it. Um, and But I, I think they do just call it The Voice, which, okay, we have to address this, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a movie called Star Wars? Yeah, I have. have uh, noticed they made a that, couple of them. Yeah, you ever notice how that movie takes place on a desert planet and it's about a special young boy whose bloodline makes him sort of magical and then he meets a spice smuggler and learns Duke to Sky use... Dancer? <laughs> yeah and he learns to use the force and it, it's so it, i'm not i'm not making fun of george lucas he has openly admitted that dune was one of the many inspirations that he used to create star wars um but i for that reason i i find 
a lot of people's reactions to this interesting, right? Because it is really similarly the story from Star Wars. You have an empire, you have rebellion, you know, they they oversimplified it in Star Wars, sure, but it's still there. I I feel like this is going to sound super pretentious, but I feel like Dune is the thinking man Star Wars, right? Or it's being it's being uh, presented to us as the thinking man Star Wars, perhaps. I can agree with that 100%. Uh, yeah. Just no question. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting a little stumbling on my words, but just when you really think about it, you, you have just kind of the Empire and the Rebellion in Star Wars, but in Dune, you have the Harkonnen and Atreides and all these different factions. And there's they all have their own religions, and it I can definitely agree with. It is definitely presented that way. Yeah, and I, you know, and far be it from me to say that that's why I like it. But it's like I do enjoy having a, you know, twenty years of lore to look into because I I'm not gonna watch the sci-fi miniseries anytime soon. Not out of spite, just because you know. You and I make podcasts. There's a lot of stuff we have to watch to get that done. We've also got full-time jobs and lives and things. So mm -hmm. it's like, you know, watch time for things is limited. But to know that there is just this cornucopia of detail that I could dive into at basically any time, I think makes this this whole property more enjoyable. And I got to say, I, I'm really excited for Dune fans because it, it feels like at some point this this would be the property that that surpasses the others right because it is so renowned in literature i mean it is a classic and people treat it as such it's not without its problems of course but I, i'm just really excited and and as a sci-fi fan i'm excited to have a new property that isn't star wars or marvel, or marvel. Or star trek like i love i'll watch every star trek you know till the day i die but it's like i i still am I'm glad to have something that I know is going to be multi-part and that isn't based on something else that I already saw. Um, so I, I, I think this is a good time to be a Dune fan. Yeah, well said. Uh, I am running out of notes to uh, go through. So if you have anything else you want to mention, please go ahead. Uh, I did want to say uh, we were talking about the voice earlier and I really liked the dichotomy where on one hand, Lady Jessica can use her voice and order anybody to do anything, but she also uses sign language to communicate, which is, uh, you know, pretty much the exact opposite. It's this very silent form of communication. And there were all kinds of very fun little things like that to pick up on throughout the movie. Well, and just another layer of that duality of, of character and duality of humanity, right? Because she... I, Lady Jessica might be my favorite character in this movie. Um, she has, like you said, she has that power with the voice, but also that subtle power in the book that I think that's called battle language. So I'm really glad that he never went, Hey, speak battle language instead. Uh, but it makes sense, right? Because we, we have that now, you know, you've seen in movies, Marines will do the hand signals to tell each sure. other what they're doing mm -hmm. instead of talking out loud. So it lets you communicate without, letting other people be aware and i just the thing that i love about her character is that she seems to have such an understanding of her place of power regardless of which um uh echelon she employs right so she is defying the will of a ten thousand generation order of monk witches that are magical 
and say, you know what? I'm going to have a boy instead of a girl. You know why? Because he's going to be the savior of our universe, basically, the Kwisatz Haderach. So the audacity to just decide I'm not going to do as ordered, I'm going to do this because it will work. And then, you know, to have the confidence to carry through everything that she has to do in this movie, knowing full well the pain it's going to cause, the strength in the maternal character of Lady Jessica is... I love I love her portrayal in this movie and I love the actress who who did an amazing job and I think that that duality there is a beautiful thing for you to bring up because that's kind of like the whole theme of Paul for this entire story right he's he's been told you're going to be the savior and for the first 3 quarters of the movie he's like they're not they're, they don't believe I'm the savior. They're calling me the savior because you told them to, right? And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, yes, but I told them to because you are, because I know best. Mother knows best, right? And it's it's this great illustration of our parents' expectations of us versus our own desires versus, you know, what is right versus, you know, I, I really, really love it. It's a complex story. Maybe not every single piece of that comes through in the movie, but I feel like the movie is enough visually, sonically, and entertainment-wise to get you through any hang-ups that you may find yourself having. Yeah, uh, I also really liked the Lady Jessica character. Uh, you know, there were times where she kind of seemed frigid, and, uh, you know, she, she's not listening to anybody. She's not going to take anybody's advice. She's only on her own path, but she knows her path. She can see her path and she can kind of drive it. Uh, there's a little bit of talk about the golden path in the movie. Yes. Uh, and the golden path is, you know, depending on what actions certain people take, we're going to alter what is happening in the world. And there is one pathway, the golden pathway, which is the best and most perfect and optimal pathway for us to go on. So there, this idea of seeing the future and seeing what might happen and choosing which direction you want to go to go down for the golden path uh really interesting and it was kind of understated in the movie it was there but it wasn't in your face yeah it was subtle i mean this the character of paul spends most of the movie doing everything he can to avoid a conflict or to save lives right and then he has this vision in the tent. By the way, I love the visual of the tent. You can see like the the moisture collecting on the skin of the tent and trickling down through the the light that's coming in from outside. It's very, very cool. Little subtle piece of Fremen technology. But he has this vision of, you know, a, a galaxy of flame, uh, uh, banners, swung in my father's name a holy war that engulfs the entire universe and after that he decides to walk that path he goes my path leads into the desert so he spends the entire basically the entire movie trying to avoid conflict and then in that vision he, it's not that he revels in the death that he sees it's that he accepts oh the path, the golden path 
is the path for all, not just the path for me. So I have to put my personal feelings aside and do what must be done, which, you know, great metaphor for growing up, great metaphor for him becoming the new head of his household now that his father is gone. I mean, if you are digging this grow up metaphor and choose your identity and, you know, willingness and free will stuff, Ricky D, you got to check out Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay. I'll stop talking. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is a really good place to end. I think, uh, you know, we've really summed up a lot of the main characters. We've talked about our favorite moments. We've talked about how cool and how beautiful and how, uh, I'm not sure what the auditory version of greatness is, uh, <laughs> but it sounds great too. Uh, so I think this is a perfect place to wrap up. Uh, is there anything else that you absolutely have to get out? Uh, not about the movie. No, I, yeah. I think, I think I, I may end up finished watching it. I'm at the scene now where they first get to Arrakis and they're taking over the, the old temple thing. So, yeah. All right. Well, where could we find you on Twitter or in the podcast universe? If you would like to find me in the podcast universe, you can usually find me right next to Ricky D from Best Flicks with Ricky D on the Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch, which is a podcast where I try to make my friends love the things that I love the way that I love them. Of course, we've covered Firefly, Cowboy Bebop, Highlander. Most recently, we talked about the movie Space Sweepers, and uh, we had a blast with that. If you haven't seen Space Sweepers, it's on Netflix in the United States. came out this year, 2021. Very cool space western. Go check that out. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Sudden Butt. I'm also on Instagram at Sudden Butt Inevitable Podcast. And just like with any other Twist My Arm podcast show, you can just go to twistmyarmpodcast.com and I will pop up there. Excellent. Uh, I think we're going to wrap this up. My name is Ricky D. I'm on Best Flicks with Ricky D. And this is Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch. Thanks. For